What up, bros? <laughs> and welcome to Proud Meets World. What is Proud Meets World? Your boy Meets World fan cast. This is episode 85. I'm Siege. And I'm your boy, Tony Coitus. All right, Coitus. Uh, tell me about today. Well, today I'm very excited because not only are we doing a special two-part episode, this epic romance in the in, right in the middle of our series here, um, we're also bringing aboard some guests that we're very excited to have on. And um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but we, me and Siege have been um, in communication with them and we've just been, we found this way to collaborate and I think it's awesome to have them on this specific episode just because it is so important. Um, but yeah, guys, go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves to the guests, to the audience. Uh, I'm Chance. I'm one of the hosts of Boy Meets World Fever. And I'm Cameron. I'm the other host of Boy Meets World Fever. That's right. It's a Boy Meets World podcast collab. Hey! We're excited. <laughs> Two parters. Two podcasts. Okay. <laughs> guys, would you mind just quickly uh, telling our listeners what made you guys get into doing a Boy Meets World podcast? What inspired you and where you're at, at you know, in the series so far, just so we can have an understanding of where your viewpoint's coming from. Absolutely. So we have been friends for a long time. We be, we became friends in college and we bonded over a lot of things, but one of them was a love of Boy Meets World that we've seen every episode so many times that we can quote them. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of podcast ideas of things to do together, a lot of really random ones. And we thought one day it's like, you know, a Boy Meets World podcast would be easier. Yeah, like we could do that. We can do that. We can get into podcasting this way. So we started at the beginning of this year and we just wrapped up season two. We just did season one. season one and we just wrapped, we just did our very last season one piece of content that'll come out next Thursday. Yeah. I mean, your story sounds very similar to TC's and ours. We were doing the same thing. I think we've told this story before we were like, trying to start a podcast and then we did the and then there was sean episode and we were like should we just do boy meets world like is that it and one of the reasons i think that siege and i gravitated to boy meets world and i'm assuming maybe you guys as well is just because like boy meets world had these milestone episodes that when i reflect back on my childhood even at a younger age and a way that step by step our full house maybe didn't touch that nerve with me um the way that boy meets world yeah 100 percent um we were both like five or six when the episodes came out so we literally grew up with them and yeah there were there were just so many really impactful moments that were so real i think and i remember starting like a little later um because we moved to a pretty small town and didn't have but like nine tv channels Unless you wanted to pay a lot of money for satellite, and we did not. Um, and so, just as a family, we would watch whatever was on TV that night. So, TGIF was like, yeah, must watch TV. Um, and so, I remember it was a little bit later, they were like season four, five, six, seven, that I remember watching more religiously, I guess, than the earlier seasons. But it was just a big part of like our lives as a, as a family. 
was watching this show. Yeah, I remember, I was thinking about this the other day. This episode came out around like 96, 97. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I was like nine. That's why these episodes, not only are they great, but they're also the ones I remember more because I was a little bit older as opposed to season one and two when I was like five Mm -hmm. or six, as you said. Specifically this episode, I remember watching this live as a kid on TGIF and like legit being heartbroken and then later vindicated and just going through this full range of human emotions in a way that I had never done before with a television show. Like it was the first time I can remember being personally and emotionally invested in TV characters that I consider to be like almost friends of mine. And it, it just, I believe, started this love of television for me um, when I realized that there could be a relationship between the characters and the audience. Yeah, so what were what were your thoughts on the episode? Just like first impressions right off the back before we get into it. Yeah, I think I think both of our first impressions because we just finished season one, like a deep dive into uh-huh, season just one, just like looking at it hardcore, and then suddenly jumping in here to almost the end of season four, and it is like night and day, completely different TV show. Like the names are the same, and the sets are the same, but nothing else feels the same. Yeah. So it was just. It was almost like whiplashed. It was just like, what is this? This is so totally different. Yeah. I think the show kind of gradually gets from where it is in season one to where it is in season four. So in like my rewatches in the past, it's never stood out to me as much, but it was it, it just slaps you in the face. It just slaps you in the face. In a good way. Oh, it's yeah. not like a, a bad slap. Oh, yeah. It, we definitely say that uh, one thing we give the show credit for is it's really good at trimming the fat. Like when it brings on a character or a story that after a season isn't really developing the characters the way they want, they're really quick to cut it out. So um, it took a while to get to this point where the cast and the writing are so tight. Because um, as me and Siege can tell you, we've seen some snoozers. We've seen some really bad episodes throughout the years of them not really knowing what to do with these characters before arriving at, I believe, this season where they kind of figured everything out. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, this this season seems the most developed, um, which is I think interesting because when I think of this episode, I remembered Topanga standing in the rain. Like that's mm-hmm. what was iconic to me, yes. and that what made that's what made an impression. But rewatching this episode, I was like, oh, there is so much more going on here, and so much more that I think should be talked about and remembered, as opposed to us just remembering them fight for love. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the scenes that's always really stood out to me as like a Sean is a player kind of things is the is the uh, beginning of episode two with the two uh, exchange students, I guess. And that always sticks out to me. But then like <laughs> actually putting it in the context of this episode. I have so much to say about we're, that. We're going to have oh. to talk about it. <laughs> OK, so it sounds like we should get started. Uh, T, do you want to hit them with the tell me about it? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, a one, a two, a one, two, three, go. Tell us about it. Tell us all about the show. Topanga moves across the state. Corey just can't wait to date. Good for you. I like it. <laughs> I did what I could. There's a lot of story. Do, do you normally sing that? Yes. Every I, I don't know if we've told you guys this, but we do begin every podcast with a 
Billy Joel's Tell Me About It version summary of the show. That's beautiful. I don't know when and where this started, but we've done it ever since. I can't, it feels like we've always done it. I did not know that that was a thing. Yeah, it was something that developed and trust me, um, as he said, I have no idea where it came from, but we were like, you know what? Every week you're dedicated to it and I applaud it. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's here to my eye. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Billy Joel would be proud. He has nothing to do with Boy Meets World. I don't know how he got roped <laughs> into this. This is season four, episode 16, A Long Walk to Pittsburgh. Eric accidentally discovers Sean and Topanga have a secret when he finds them behaving more than friendly at Chubby's. He then tells Corey about it. Unfortunately, they only know half the story. Tensions rise between friends and family when Corey finds out that Topanga is actually moving away to Pittsburgh. That's pretty much, that's the episode. It's like every episode. That so we're, we're only doing part one, right? For, for now? I don't know how you want to do it. If you want to only talk about part one, we can. The whole story I have comments on, so I will leave it up to you guys. I think maybe what would be best is just for us to just start from the top and go through it and just unpack it. Because the great thing about this that me and Steve always talk about is that the show seems stronger when they only have an A storyline. Mm-hmm. It's rare that it happens. Um, sometimes they try to do too many storylines or they'll have two storylines that really have nothing to do with each other. They don't really balance out the episode. Um, and this specific was two whole episodes dedicated to one storyline and they just did such a great job with it so i i it might be better just to go linear uh just for the sake of uh uh you know reviewing it yeah i'm down with that i also just want to note to all of our listeners this is our and the series first two-parter uh this is the first two-part uh episode we get uh, what would have been an hour of television. So um, yeah, that's it's a really important episode in several ways. Did they originally air back to back or was it a, you better tune they in? No, they made you wait. This was Valentine's Day. I believe it was the Valentine's Day episode. Oh man. And they made you wait a week thinking that Corey and Topanga were broken we're up done. forever. Ooh. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Which can I just say, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit. I wish they had done. Not forever, but I wish we had like a longer gap than a week. Like I need, I needed this show to actually follow through in its premise of this is not a TV show where we're experiencing real life right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I actually thought that the show, like me and CJ always talk about how the show is kind of, it wants to be meta, but it doesn't exist in a time where meta is really acceptable yet. You don't really see a lot of meta humor until you get to like, and then there was Sean. But I feel like Sean in this episode commenting saying, no, it's TV. She's she's not going to go. Is is The writer is almost communicating to the audience exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's to the show's benefit or not. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, does that not feel like a cheat? <laughs> well, ER is real. ER is real. That's been established. Okay, so let's start off with the beginning. As we were saying earlier, Eric goes to Chubby's and finds Sean and Topanga in an intimate embrace, and then Sean kisses Topanga. Yeah, uh, Eric thinks they're having the most depressing affair of all time. Because <laughs> they look so sad. Yeah, not even doing a good job trying to hide it. It's yeah. like, this is the most popular place that everybody hangs out. Yeah. And we have our secret fling in the back room at the pool table. Siege pointed out on uh, social media today that the Boy Meets World writers are like, oh yeah, I know a good place, and then it's always chubbies. Yeah. <laughs> like, even when they were all singled out, like MTV was like, we're going to give you an all-expense-paid trip to chubbies. And it just felt like such a yeah, cheap, like you go there with your parents all the time for your birthday even. 
find a new restaurant. Yeah. Um, uh, the kiss was weird. Yes. Can we talk about it? Yeah. The kiss uh-huh. was weird under any context. At least I felt that it was strange. It almost felt like Sean was kind of taking advantage of Topanga in a really vulnerable state more than it was like being there for a friend because mm-hmm. it just... It just seems skeevy. I don't know. And it's weird that like Corey never circled back and asked Sean about it. I have a lot of questions about it. And this just seems like a weird thing to do. Like if I have a friend who is distressed, like if Chance is distressed and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to just like plant one on him. I think that's where you're right. That makes a difference. It's like, if you wouldn't kiss Corey because he's going through a hard time, then why kiss Topanga? Like, I understand that you're friends and it is in fact innocent, but there, if you're not going to kiss Corey or Eric for going through a hard time, then kissing Topanga is in fact an overstep, no matter how you look at it. It's because Sean's a rushy boy. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out that it is a cheek kiss, not a mouth kiss. Not that, like, you're right, like, in the whole terms of creepiness, it's kind of still has a, a haze of that, um, but it is a cheek kiss. Um, so maybe he's just been spending a lot of time with European girls and got some ideas. I don't know. Ooh, there's an idea, though. <laughs> He's getting yeah, ready for, for his Sean, date. A cheek kiss? What even is that? <laughs> that's like not even on his radar. Yeah, for Sean, that's like entry level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a cheek kiss is as much as a handshake, so I can... I can <laughs> yeah. He, he spends so much time lip-locked with different people that... What is it? What do you think about the idea of Sean and Topanga and the way that they are talking about what's going on. And then also Eric's, I'll say kind of protective nature of Corey during this episode. Yeah, it felt, it just felt weird, especially coming yeah. from season one where like their relationship is very, like they share a room, but Sean's, the, or Eric's the cool older brother and Corey's like the lame younger brother. And there isn't like that level of like, well, I got to look out for you and protect you. Even Eric mentions it, like, why on earth would I be doing this? Yeah, I wouldn't, I would be doing this if you weren't really hurting or something terrible wasn't happening. I think it really stood out to me, uh, and I've mentioned this a little bit, but they look like miserable when he's comforting her. And I just wonder, like, what's going through Eric's head that like, oh, these people that look just super sad are obviously cheating. Like, that's what they're doing. They feel bad about it. I have a theory. I have a theory that Eric thinks that they are carrying all the weight of the guilt for sneaking behind Corey's back with their ravenous affair. That's what I believe he's interpreting that as. Same. And since since you guys like to retcon in your podcast, I would like to pitch that that's what happened with him and Jason. And Jason stole one of his girls, and that's why they're not friends anymore. That's where Jason went. That's what's going on. Jason would do that. <laughs> I actually have to say that I believe the last time we saw Jason, he was on his way to Europe, and then I believe he never came back. <laughs> I, when you guys watch through, like, season two, season three, when the Jason, like, going to Europe storyline comes up, keep an eye on it. I don't believe he ever returns. I, it's very possible. Maybe he took the one Southern Bell girl that I forget the name of. Too. Desiree. 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 Yeah. Maybe they went to Europe together. A little joke. Drive the eat. car around the block once or twice, <laughs> get it nice and toasty. <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. A quick comment about 
uh, Sieges question about the way Sean and Topanga were behaving in this was, I think, very weird. It was almost like they were purposefully trying to give off the vibe that they were having an affair. Like, they gave Corey just enough information to, like, irk his anxiety, but no one decided to come for him and be like, hey, it's not what you think it is, buddy. I know why you might assume this, but it has nothing to do with that. None of that. They were just like, I can't speak of this. Talk to Topanga. It was just very That weird. may make sense, though, actually, because Sean thinks he's in a TV show, so he thinks the audience <laughs> needs drama, so <laughs> he's just playing his role. I love this retconning. That's, that's amazing. As you were saying earlier, I thought it was interesting that Eric immediately, like, he comes into Chubby's and he, like, immediately realizes that he has to have this conversation with Corey. Um, and I do want to talk about the fact that Morgan basically says, hey, I'm a character too. I should have a storyline. And they're like, bump that. But uh, we'll come back to that conversation. She's lucky to be out of her room. (laughs) (laughs) I like the fact that um, Sean, as an older brother, he does always step up. I mean, you guys are in the first episode, our first season right now, but you learn in later seasons that one of the things about Corey and Eric's relationship is that Eric always steps up when needed. And he always kind of sees Corey as like a bother or, again, some side player in his life, unless Corey is in danger or is having a problem. And Eric will do everything he can to be present, which I thought was very important. Yeah, Eric's great in this this whole episode, both these episodes. Yeah, I loved Eric because he had a personality. Yeah. He was a more fully <laughs> developed character. He wasn't just the too cool older brother. Yeah, or the one note. Yeah, he was very stale. I remember him being very cardboard in season one. So this was probably a drastic difference for you guys. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, we're fans of the show long for have been for a long time. So we know like who Eric becomes. We know where he's going, but we've yeah. just been looking so long at where he was. I actually loved I loved his character throughout this episode too. I think he's used beautifully in the second episode as more of a uh, you know comic relief. Um, but to see just point, like he is so concerned about breaking Corey's heart, and I thought the fact that this story kind of revolves around like this teenager experiencing his first heartbreak and how serious it took it and the vulnerability that they showed through Corey, I just thought was so interesting. You know, me and Siege always talk about how. Uh, Ben Savage is such a diverse actor that he can kind of play all these different versions of Corey. He can play the neurotic Corey and he can play the, you know, skeeving, mysterious Corey. But every now and then he can also play this romantic leading man. And so for him to be able to kind of so um, fluidly kind of transition between all those different versions of uh, Corey, I just thought was so awesome him and danielle's acting in this especially in the bedroom scene when they're talking to each other i was like i feel the tension i feel like they believe what they're saying right now in the way that really brought me into the episode even now in 2020 oh yeah yeah i i know we're skipping ahead to the bedroom scene real quick but i thought them in that scene like that's why this is such an iconic relationship that's why when i think about tv relationships from my childhood Corey Topanga is the definitive like couple of my childhood and and it seems like this their chemistry is so good mm-hmm. like they're so believable as like a relationship and i'm even i'm i'm a cynic i'm a pessimist and i'm like 16 year olds aren't going to get married they're going to go off to college and never think about each other again but like but these two but these, these two, two got different. it 
<laughs> I think that's definitely something I want to get into. Um, right before we shift, one of the things that I wanted to point is the confrontation between Eric, Sean, and Corey. Um, mostly because immediately Sean says that Eric's kind of making it up and he tells Corey that, who are you going to believe, your brother or me? And like when Corey confronts Eric about that, Eric's like, hold on one second. And I took that as Eric seeing Sean as the charming person that he is. And again, he still thinks that uh, his brother's best friend is cheating on him with his girl. So he really stepped up and was like ready to be physical. But I also love throughout that entire altercation, Sean kept tipping a secret and was like, it's not my secret to tell. You need to talk to her. And that's just something that I wanted to point out. I think that's a great thing to point out. I loved that apparently Corey just, you know, leaves school during lunch. Apparently Sean does too, <laughs> just goes to Chubby's. And- it's the only place to eat in town. Yeah, I want to say, it has to be close, right? Like across the street from the school. Yeah. Oh yeah, this whole show takes place within two blocks of each other. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was interesting um, to see... Sean uh, keeps paying a secret because it reminded me very much, uh, we just recently came off of A Dangerous Secret, I think is the episode uh, uh, earlier this season, where uh, one of his classmates is being abused by her dad and Sean is like sworn to keep the secret and he kind of refused to like admit or reveal the secret even to parents or to police for a long time. Um, So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would kind of like, you know, really uh, try his best to honor this honesty that Topanga trusted him with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially like Sean's character has been through a lot of trauma. And so he like sees that in other people when they honor that and protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, like the girl who is being abused and now like Topanga who is having to move. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is the idea that um Corey, again, everyone's kind of protective of Corey, but Corey and Eric kind of jump to violence. You know, like they immediately are like ready to like really throw down. And it's like, no one's had a conversation. As Sean said, you don't even know the whole story. And I thought that that is very telling of like 90s thought process and masculinity, but also, of course, uh, television. Yeah, I wish Mm -hmm. it was uh, less real that white guys jump to violence. (laughs) But here we are. Yeah, you can't justify it, really. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're in the bedroom now, right? Uh Corey's coming to Topanga to talk to her about what's going on. And he's like, he kisses her and he's like, I'm going to kiss you before I kill you. And he confronts her about Sean and... She kisses him and she looks at him and says, I just wanted to kiss you before I killed you. And you just, as an audience, you're just like, you're like on the edge of your seat because you know she's going to say something that's just going to break this kid's heart. You just don't know what it is. And then she says, I'm moving. And then it's just like this, this, oh, you can almost hear the audience react to it, even though they don't really in that moment, just almost like a gasp. The audience is very vocal throughout both episodes, I felt. But I, in that moment, there was just a lot of tension that I felt from um, the actors. So you kind of just steamrolled over my bro moment, which is the idea that Corey would go into another girl's room and said, I just wanted to kiss you before I kill you. (laughs) And I was like, hold on one second, because as funny as that sounds, there is a huge history and a very real life statistic of men and young boys killing their female or even any kind of partner and i was like 
I do not like this, but it did make it to when Topanga says, before I kill you, it's in a different, she means it in a different way. And it's kind of a poetic retelling, but Corey, again, showing up and being like, I wanted to kiss you before I kill you. I was like, this is not okay. We need to talk about this. Cause again, <laughs> great to violence. Yeah. Would not fly today. Absolutely not. I have a question for the panel. Um, how many of you guys moved or changed schools uh, at some point K through 12? Yep. I'm, yep. I'm counting them all. I apologize. I went to four different schools, K-12, four different towns. I think I went to six. Yeah, I moved around. Like I, My dad was a military uh, guy for the beginning of my childhood. And then uh, by the time I went to high school, I had... In junior year alone, I went to four different schools. Whoa. So <laughs> I actually moved yes. my senior year. I moved the summer before my senior year. So wow. Oh wow. I really just thought it was such a relatable storyline that I didn't really see played around with much dramatically in sitcoms unless they were trying to get rid of a character. I had never seen it used in this way to like make us as the audience wonder, oh, what would our lives be without Topanga? Or what, you know, the reason I think why we have such a strong emotional bond is because the audience thinks Corey and Topanga are going to be together forever. So when they say, hey, we're breaking, like I'm moving, everyone is on pins and needles thinking, well, this isn't what I want for these characters. So there's just so much... um, uh, empathy you have for them and it's so relatable um because like three of the four of us moved I, I don't know if you raised your hand oh i did i did yeah yeah okay yeah so we all we all moved it's like a very relatable thing mm-hmm. it's like i remember moving and like that was kind of it for those like relationships that i'd had and wherever we'd lived before um partly just my personality but it's just like it's just very relatable but yeah not really something that's used a lot um, but very interesting. So it's not like, oh, she was cheating on him. Um, oh, that's just an old, like a trope. This is like something very real and relatable, but just as like dooming to a relationship. Personally, that's why I said I wish that we had gotten like two or three episodes in between this to really, as you said, it's so relatable. The idea of being with someone, especially high school love, which is very intimate, very passionate, and the stakes are always high no matter what. And the idea of Topanga, which is the ha- the other half of this relationship that we've all come to know and love and idealize, as you've talked about, the idea of it splitting up, it really does need the weight of being a few episodes and, and that journey. I think we spent more time with them broken up when he, he actually broke up with her or they actually broke up with each other than we do when she, her parents move away. And it's like, which one's more realistic that you spend more time apart because you chose to, or the fact that you would spend more time apart because your parents forced you to be in two different zip codes. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I never totally. thought about that. I don't know how, fun Corey would be a watch in those intervening episodes, but it would definitely make the uh, decision seem a lot bigger. Well, to the show's credit, I will say that it does feel like they learned their lesson in season five when the Lauren saga begins, mm-hmm. because they stretched that out for like four or five episodes in the best way possible. So it does feel like they learned from their mistake. That's when we get our uh, consequences. Uh-huh. And we've already seen them apart in season three. Um We've seen that where they break up because they feel like they're just kind of wanting different things. And then Corey's dating around, Topanga's dating around, and Disney World magic, everything comes back together. But it's still those few episodes apart. 
So maybe they just didn't want to retread that ground again. Uh, I don't know. It does become a tired storyline as the show matures. I, I think they break up like they get engaged and then they break up again because her parents are divorcing. So she stops believing in love. So many Dude. quarters in the jar. I'm so sorry. <laughs> quarters, but quarters, like, it's quarters, just like quarters. this thing of just like, it, they lean on it a little too much. The Ross and Rachel, you know, will they, won't they thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, and especially because Corey and Topanga aren't a will they, won't they like. We all know they will. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sorry, which is what takes the wind out of their sails whenever there's storylines like this, which is why I said if you were to have it more than just a week-long gap or in the show two weeks, it would mean more because, as you said, we've already known that they were going to be – they like the will-they-won't-they they has no stakes if immediately it's resolved. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, I was going to ask you guys about Amy. I, I don't know if you guys have anything else to say about the bedroom scene, but I just have so many thoughts on Amy that I really am excited to dive into. I want to talk about Amy. You know how I feel about Amy. You <laughs> know that I feel that she's underutilized. And the way this episode treats Amy, I I was livid. When I tell you livid, I was livid. But uh, before we get there, I will say that I noticed... The thing about this storyline, especially in the first episode, is the idea of Corey just being in a very, I don't know how to say this other than self-centered. Like, Mm -hmm. he is, it's all about him. He does it, like, I was like, the moment we see Topanga's room, there are boxes, shelves are empty. I was like, you can see immediately that something's going on. And it takes Corey forever. And on top of which, um, what was this? There's some idea of, uh, I think later on in the episode, I'm kind of getting my timeline confused, but when they talk about actually separating, he's just like, oh, well then you're going to have other guys or you're going to have other offers. And I was like, you have no faith in Topanga's commitment to this relationship. It's all you. It's all what Corey wants. And if it's not what Corey wants, then it's just not going to work. That's kind of bullshit. I think you're totally right. Um, uh, a teacher once told me, uh, well, told the whole class, not just me. <laughs> about um, relationships and growing up and the like. Uh, oh, what did he say? He said, uh, being in a long distance relationship is like waking up every morning and choosing to shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> and uh, I think Corey is really experiencing that, but he's also not thinking like, oh, we can, we can make this work if we're like, if we're understanding with each other. Like, well, one of the first things he says after Topanga tells him is he goes, well, I don't believe in Pittsburgh. And I was like, okay, well, you don't have to believe in it. It's a real place. It's it's like, this, this is kind of like what we're dealing with right now with the pandemic. There are just people who are like, I choose not to believe in that. And it's like, okay, well, you can choose not to believe in it all you want. The world is the world and reality is reality. That was a good connection. That was great. This is what we're here for, to connect the dots, guys. <laughs> I wonder what's going to be going on in the world when we get to this episode in our show. We have to connect the dots to something. Surely something will be going on. To your point, Siege, he is the entire time never thinks about it from Topanga's perspective. He never tries to comfort her for leaving. He never tries to think about what she's going through. It's all about his narrative and how he is losing his girlfriend versus, you know, her being ripped away from the only home she's ever known, ripped away from this only school she's, you know, been attending. Um, There's no empathy on his end towards her, which I think is what you were picking up on. Absolutely. Well, what he says at the beginning of 
episode two um, is that he says, I never got a chance to say goodbye. And I was like, no, you did. You chose not to. She specifically said, can't I get a hug and a kiss goodbye? And you said no. So the idea of being like, I didn't even get a chance. It's like, no, you did. You're rewriting history to make you yourself the victim instead of someone who didn't support his girlfriend while she was being dragged away from the only home she's ever known. Yeah, I think when they end the first bedroom scene, which maybe we should move on, but I just, I need to say, (laughs) um, when they end the first bedroom scene, I think they're actually in a pretty good place. I think Corey's been pretty selfish, um, like you were saying, but I think like them talking about writing each other letters and calling each other. And it's really cute when she says, I just want to be, you know, the first one or last one to kiss you before I kiss you again. I think it's very cute. I think it's a cute moment. And I think if they were to end it there and Corey were to grow from that moment, I think it would have worked really well. But whether because of the conversation with Sean or not, he definitely takes it to a much more selfish place. I mean, we talked about getting whiplash from this episode earlier. Corey probably kind of gives Topanga whiplash because like they get this thing settled and then suddenly... He just regresses super hard. He regresses, yeah. It's so strange because... The season, I mean, the episode one ends and I'm like, oh, okay, so they're just going to be a long distance. That's what I'm understanding. Mm -hmm. Episode two starts, Corey is on another date. And I thought to myself, did they break up? Does Topanga know about this? How would Corey feel if Topanga did this? And it's just, it's so weird. Also that Sean, who was like in denial that this relationship was going to end because you don't deserve that kind of pain, is in no way supportive of his friend that's in a long distance relationship. He's like, dude, we got these chicks, these Euro chicks, and they're down for anything. Let's dive in. It's so weird. Yeah, I have it written down. Why is Sean encouraging Corey to cheat? Like, what's happening? Yeah, so now you guys get to see what I did with all the time. TC is like all over the place. We are going back. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, yes, sorry. Yes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to go back to Amy uh, real quick. Yes, Amy needs her no moment. She deserves life. her moment. This isn't her moment. This is a bad... Yeah, okay, so I'm going to be quiet because I can go on a rant, but I want to hear everyone's idea about um, Amy because uh, for our listeners who are checking back in, what happens is after they tell kind of the parents what's going on, um, Amy's just like not about it. And she's like, you know what? this is going to be a long distance is a lot harder than you think it is. And I think you should date other people. I think it's great that you've had this relationship with Topanga, but in reality, I'm seeing, I think what she doesn't say, but Amy's kind of hinting at is I'm seeing some codependency here. And if this is as bad as I think it is, I think a break or at least some distance would actually benefit the both of you. I'll, I'll go ahead and start because I have a lot of feelings. Um, Amy is so underutilized throughout season one, especially, but even like thinking forward, I can't think of too many storylines that Amy actually gets until like season five, when she takes a creative writing class, um, breaking, breaking the rules, just like Tony there. But um, like, she just gets so little. And then I have so many complicated feelings about Amy in this episode because she's actually making some fairly good points. Mm. Like she's not necessarily wrong, but the way she's doing it is so villainous. And I think that's what Alan's trying to tell her. And I'm angry that the writers chose like, oh, now we're going to use her as a villain. 
when she's clearly not. I, I think you're meant to have complicated feelings about Amy because I think Corey at this moment has complicated feelings about Amy, but I still don't like it. I feel like they do that again with her later in regards to Corey and Topanga's relationship where mm-hmm. she's like the one seen as against it, which I don't think she is, but she's just kind of like, let's be realistic like in our expectations of what will happen mm-hmm. if you are 305 miles apart from each other. Like that, that isn't a small thing. Right. And so she's trying to help him see that and be realistic about it. But yeah, she just gets kind of cast as, as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Just belligerent in her opinion. Yeah. And it, it is weird for her to be the antagonist, but not technically be wrong. Yeah. I think, I think what you said is a great um, way of putting this is that because Corey has um, complex feelings towards Amy, maybe that's what we're uh, the viewpoint we're approaching this from. But at the exact same time, TC and I have spoken about this several times, which is that the show does not know how to write women and you get only three categories of women and we get all three in these two episodes. We get the three categories are you get the uh, innocent love of love interest who is usually Topanga but could be any girl of the week and the story requires her to be innocent or a heart of gold at some point in time then you get the dating girl of the week who honestly is like a dumb bimbo she's there just to go on a date with Eric Corey or Sean and then finally you this get is this is the pure girl versus slutty girl yes we see it over and over And then finally, the third category is Shrew of the Week. And the Shrew of the Week is usually has an evil plan or she's like bad in the sense of against, she's a foil to the boys. And she may not even be wrong, but she's just a foil to the boys. And therefore she's painted as someone who, again, has like malicious intent. And I was like, they chose to make Amy and even in a sense, Aunt Prudence, um, the shrew of the week and i was like so upset because as you pointed out they're not wrong not only are they speaking from um experience as older adults but they're the only women in this situation and they're the only ones who from what we see are giving a parental voice alan says nothing and i will get to that when the time comes (laughs) but alan says nothing nothing and out here nothing. fighting the battle herself Even when he says something he's saying it, nothing yeah he says nothing the, it's so crazy what they do with amy because i will say that i thought it was nice for us to see the matthews experiencing some family dysfunction it's not something we see a lot with them we see it a lot with sean's family mm-hmm. and Corey's family is always seen as like the perfect alternative so it was nice to, just to see a little infighting there um But with Amy, the thing that's like Siege said that's so frustrating is that she's the only one that's being practical yet because the show doesn't know how to handle women well, her practicality is painted as hysteria that Alan has to calm down Mm -hmm. so that she could learn how to be the mother that she needs to be for Corey versus letting her, you know, worry and anxiety get in the way. It just, it felt insulting. It really did. Thank you. I I I wrote (laughs) insulting. I love that you said that because I literally wrote it's dismissive and insulting the way they treat Amy's character. Uh, I just want to pull a quote real quick. She says... When Corey's like, Pittsburgh's not even that far. And by the way, I looked it up. It is only a five-hour drive away. So as adults, we're like, that's nothing. But, I mean, five On hours On a bus, is- bro? On a bus? No way. 
I'm just saying that um, it is not that far, but it does take effort even as an adult. So a teenager, it's going to take more effort, and it's not that they can't do it. Amy says, I don't doubt that you're capable, and I don't doubt your your feelings for Topanga. But A, this is not love. And then B, this is going to be harder than you think it is. And I think you need to be prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what the show was trying to do was to force Corey to get into a point where he had to like hardline in the sand. I'm in love. This is what love means to me. And this is who Topanga is for me. But by using Amy for that, it becomes really destructive because, um, it, it paints this picture that we see later on. And I, I know I'm putting another quarter in the drawer where she, you know, gets mad at Topanga for not going to Yale. It's, it seems like in, in many aspects, they use Amy and Topanga as foils as like, a, I, I'm the only woman in his life. He can't have another woman in his life. And that's why me and her have some like hidden beef that randomly spouts up every now and then. And it just felt like that whole premise with the show where we can't have two women characters talking or getting along or being relatable without there being conflict between the two. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to up your spoiler for a much further head spoiler. <laughs> But girl meets all the world. quarters. Yeah, I was about to say that too. Yeah, in, in girl meets world, they they simplify a lot of the the feelings from the first series and carry them over. And one of them is an antagonism between uh, Amy and Topanga, and like a hypercriticalness that Amy has for Topanga. I don't think that's true throughout the series. I think it's true at key moments here and uh, what Tony was talking about. It's definitely the legacy that I think carries out of this se- out of this series. And into the next one is this antagonism between these two. Uh, and I think it's a bummer. I don't like it. Well, I don't think it's true. I think, especially in this episode, if you want to just take this episode, mm-hmm. one could argue Amy is the only adult in the room, really. Because even when we talk to Feeney, Feeney's like, I think Feeney's like trying to be passive. And he's like, um, oh, what he say? he says, over the course of a person's life, there comes across a few defining moments. This is one of yours, and it's an opportunity, really. And I think that's his way of being like, you can grow from this, but blah, blah, blah. But how Corey takes it is like, oh, you're telling me to go for what I want. And like, it's so vague. It's not like a, it's not an instructive or helpful way of being. Whereas Amy is like, look, they both are children. They are 16 years old. And they, like, Corey keeps comparing it to Romeo and Juliet, which to Amy is just like, that goes to show that A, not only do you not know what you're talking about, but you are so childish, you can't even use the reference correctly. And I think that's important. And the fact that Feeney reacts so much more sensitively to Corey than his own mother, the fact that Corey and Alan are the ones seen as supportive, whereas Amy and Aunt Prudence are the ones who are not supportive, it just does feel like this thing where it's like women just have these women, right? Oh my God, their emotions are crazy. Amy loves Topanga as soon as Alan calms her down. It's crazy. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but that's that's a good point. Yeah, whenever he makes uh, his... I believe in her. And then she's like, oh, let me give you a hug. And he calls her out in front of everyone. He's like, oh, my wife believes in love. So I know that she'll stand up for love at every turn. Won't she, Amy? It's so weird. He undermines Amy 
completely in front of everyone. And I, again, when I say livid, it's because when, when the time comes for everyone to be there and Amy is like, first of all, she literally turns to Alan and she's like, help me out. And uh, later on, Corey's like, dad, you haven't said anything this entire time. Again, I'm dismissing my mother, who, by the way, is an equal partner parent. Uh, it's the 90s, bro. Well, no, because if you remember, Amy's always someone who's been like, remember when she makes the decision to buy the shop, Amy's like, is this or is this not a 50-50 marriage? Because Amy is someone who, as much as the show doesn't dive into her, they've painted as someone who does not accept anything less than being 50% of this marriage. She absolutely, when the time comes, she knows how to be there for her husband. She knows how to be there for her children, but she does not accept anything less than what she deserves. That's how they paint her, at least in these first few seasons, even though we don't need a lot of her. So the idea that Corey would just be rude to his mother, which, he, which I get, you're teenagers, that happens. But for Alan to be like, well, if I know anything about this woman, it's that she believes in true love, so she's going to come around. And it's like, so you're going to dismiss every point that she brought up, every single one of the rational ideas that she talked about, including that idea that Amy was like, hey, this girl just ran away from her parents. They don't know where she is, so she could be with my son, and you guys think that there's no codependency going on here? Yeah. Yeah. No, I do have to say a lot of character growth for them from that moment from the fugitive where they knew Sean was there and just like didn't say anything and like we're hitting him with a vacuum cleaner and jumping on him on the bed. Um, they didn't do that. They called her parents and took care of it right then all above board. Maybe good, like they should have done in fugitive. Good parenting in that regard. Like yeah. good responsible adult. But that's my point. It's not that it's good parenting. It's Amy, good mother. <laughs> like, like, Alan doesn't do anything. Um, it is interesting because they do kind of set a good foundation with Amy. Like two, three times, she's the one who's like, Alan, we should talk about this. We should come up with a plan. And then we should go be parents. And I think that's a really good foundation they set up. It's just sad that they don't do anything with it. And she's the rational one. Alan's the emotional one. Yeah. Like throughout the entire first season, he's ready to fly off the handle, start like dishing out punishments or forcing his kids to do things to make things right. And she's like, no, we're going to talk. We need to have a plan and move forward together as a team. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like not happening. You guys bring up a great point, because one thing that me and Siege used to say all the time was like, oh, Amy's too perfect. Amy's too perfect. So maybe it is a little refreshing to see her a little flawed, even if this is a little more so than we'd like. And that replicates some of the patterns we've seen with the way their behavior towards women. Um, it is nice to see a little flaw in Amy to show that she's three dimensional. Yeah, I just wish it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to talk about the scene where Corey basically proposes to Topanga to get her. <laughs> um, because there is some, like, idea of, again, this is Corey's narrative, and he's completely dismissive of everything, all the realities of the situation, which I think is important because that's what Amy's point is, is that he doesn't really understand what any of the decisions that he makes is going to do but also i just want to point that he says this thing he says um we'll find an abandoned house in an upscale neighborhood and i was like if that isn't like the most <laughs> 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 
classist thing you could say to be like, I'll be poor, but not that poor. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll be poor, but no but. To his credit, he is actively breaking into Topanga's old house and just yeah. hanging out. He is squatting. Why are we allowing this? Eric Mouse is just like, hey, time for dinner, come home. So he must have done it multiple times. Yeah, he knew where to find him. He has like a weird Helga Pataki shrine of her in a closet, photos everywhere. Yeah, it gets real creepy. That's a twist I'd like to see. <laughs> well, no, I absolutely thought about that. Only because, again, anytime Sean makes a illegal decision it's a big deal or we're kind of like judging him for it Corey literally broke into someone else's house because it's not theirs anymore they sold it um that you sell a house when you move you don't just leave it and then like you know hope that someone will eventually come buy it so they sold that house and Corey's in there um squatting as you pointed out and it's just seen as a thing that you do it's commonplace even if her parents did still own the house it's still breaking and entering still not Corey's house yeah it's not Corey's house uh going going back to that proposal scene i i think it's a very funny scene not quite as heartwarming as the first bedroom scene Uh, however i do have a note written down and i should have written the the full quote i have is topanga propositioning Corey right here oh i think i know Because there's one really awkward moment where Topanga out of nowhere says something like, I wanted every one of my first things to be with Corey. And I didn't want it to be with some random guy with Pittsburgh just because I was there. And I was like, did she just announce that she wanted to fuck Corey in front of his parents? It's so crazy. Why would she say that? I couldn't think of it for any other context but her losing her virginity. I I mean, I thought about that too, so yeah. (laughs) But I do want to say that when I go back to my childhood, when I watched this episode, I felt like... This was probably the closest thing to like a romantic comedy or a romantic movie that I felt I felt really in love with as a kid. Like I was like into this romance between these two teenagers and I was rooting for them. And even though Amy was kind of a you know shrew at the time, I couldn't really see that. And so I was just like, no, I, I want Corey and Topanga to be together. I was rooting for them. When the audience like reacts to Topanga being allowed to stay, that was my reaction when I was watching it live. And I just thought the show was really successful in building that romance that you, it, it just paid off. It was a great valentine's day payoff this is the point where i have to remind everyone something that we all forget which is that boy meets world was created by mark michael jacobs and april kelly and i feel like every now and then we get a female perspective and we get like lines that were obviously written by someone who was thinking more than just about the male characters and one of the things is amy says what does love mean to you at 16 years old And I think what you were saying is, yeah, when you're young and you're watching this, this is love. It's great. It's a great arc. But something that Boy Meets World does very often is they bring up these topics, but they don't necessarily flesh out the points that they need to, which is to say that it's great that you have this idea of love and that's your version of love. That's that's great. But you also live in a in a real world. And we want to, part of the reasons why we even have Boy Meets World podcast is because the lessons that they've taught us that apply to the real world and that carry us through. And the idea that Amy would bring up that romance is more than just fairy tales and Romeo and Juliet and all this, you know, like you need to have a real definition and you need to have really, as she said, life experiences to back them up when you make these decisions, I think is really important. Yeah. 
they do kind of let them off the hook really easily. Like instead of having them come up with action items of how they're going to try to make their relationship work, they're just like, kids, go in the other room while adults figure this out for you. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they do make an action plan of how they're going to make long distance work. And then they don't follow through with it at all. And it's forgotten by the next scene. So it's been two weeks, two weeks and they don't follow through. You can't even follow through on a plan that you made for two weeks. It shows how immature and how short-sighted this whole thing actually is. And it doesn't even sound like it started off going well. It was like, well, the, that Monday, I figured you were just getting there and went to school and were tired. And then Tuesday, this came up. And then I felt bad on Wednesday. So then I didn't do anything. It's like you already gave up. Like there was zero effort and you just confessed. From both ends, there was zero effort. And you were dating other women actively we, dating we have women. to get into that soon because i just what is happening in that scene yeah we're at we're at uh part two anyway um well again I, right before we go into there i will say we mentioned the fact that of course sean was like this is a tv show uh the girl never leaves it's kind of like and i we've talked about this before sean needs Corey and topanga to be together so i can understand his part of denial in all of this and it's interesting i just quickly at that scene when they're they're saying that uh, what you're talking about, talking about how it's a TV show that he needs them to be together. They're tossing back sodas like they're supposed to be alcohol. Did you guys think that was weird? Like it was like this trope that men have to t- drink in order to discuss their feelings? I didn't think it was weird in the context of the 90s because like I, I, there's an episode of Doug where he's throwing back milk the same way. Like it was just a thing that happened in the 90s, but as like a trope it is a bizarre trope you're right it's a bizarre trope in the mere sense that it goes back to adults only being able to tell stories from the point of view of adults and not kids i don't know a single kid who's just like give me another glass of milk i need this right now you know it's like that's or just, soda that you're gonna have to be completely different if you've had 12 or 15 however many sodas that Corey had drank in that moment like he'd be acting completely different yeah. What about Corey and Topinga's goodbye? Like when she's actually leaving? Uh, you want to smack Corey in the face? It just ticked me <laughs> off. Which is like, Corey's being so selfish. Yeah. I even wrote classic after that because I feel like that's just like classic Corey. Is he's just extremely selfish throughout the show and he gets worse. We kind of already talked about that. It's like, no, I'm not going to say goodbye to you because you're not really leaving. I'm just completely dismissing anybody else's life in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is the part where we do our roll call, where we talk about the special guests in the episode. Um, And we didn't really have many in part one, but in part two, we get three uh, characters, which are Rosie and Becky, who are our British exchange students. Um, And then later on, we get Aunt Prudence, which uh, we have to have a whole conversation about. But let's start with Rosie and Becky. Their accents are offensive, right? (laughs) <laughs> for me i was like why did they have to be british it felt again it felt like a uh, an adult male writing um kind of like a fantasy trope and it's like oh like i could kind of see this being like an adam sandler's movie where british school girls coming in you can't say no to them it feels like a plot from how i met your mother hypersexual with chunky highlights like, did you just write this so you could say the joke like oh your english is quite good yeah you yeah. speak english quite well i i thought that same thing i was like this these two people are british because someone thought it would be funny for sean not to realize that english people speak english and Corey would 
pick up on that. <laughs> That's why this joke was written. Oh, man. And it's odd that Aunt Prudence is, has a British accent, too. Like, why does Topanga have a British accent? That's a good point. The- <laughs> no, I absolutely wrote that down. I was like, why does she have this accent when, like, like there's no reason for it? It's she, we've established that she lives here. She lives in town. So why does she have this British accent? What was that for? And all three have different British accents. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. In the scene, I'm too busy wondering, what is happening? Why is this? <laughs> why is this here? <laughs> it's just, it's such a strange, like, such a sudden 180 for Sean, especially. Like, hey, Corey, I know that you are sad, but make out with this chick so I can keep on making out with this chick mm-hmm. uninterrupted. Like, what? What is he doing? Even though I just spent all this time telling you how important it is for you to be together, you don't deserve that kind of pain. And now you just got to get over it. Yeah, like just a few years ago, Sean takes him to Disney World to get the woman of his dreams back. And now he's done after two weeks. He's good. You date other women. Yes, it's so true that there's this pendulum shift with Sean where it goes from he cares more about Gordon Topanga's relationship more than any other one and to flagrant disrespect for Topanga Lawrence. This is, we've, I've, me and Siege have seen this multiple times in the series where um, Sean will encourage Corey uh, going backwards to the episode where Topanga is sick at home with like strep throat or something. And uh, Sean and Corey get invited to this two girl party and Sean's encouraging him to cheat on Topanga the entire time. The Holly Robinson, Mrs. Ro- Miss Robinson, Missy Robinson, you're trying to seduce me that line. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it feels weird that he goes back and forth from just like wanting them to last to like really encouraging them him to do some shady shit. And maybe it's because to, in Sean's mind, Corey can still do that in love to Penga at the same time because that's all he's ever seen from his own father. Ooh. I have two answers to that. Oh, I like yours. I want to get into Chet. You know I love Chet. But <laughs> also the idea that one... Corey, not Corey, Sean has already admitted that he learns from television. And what happens when someone has a breakup or when someone's girlfriend leaves on television? The next episode, they're dating again. So as far as Sean's concerned, you just move on. That's what happens. Um, But then also there's the idea that from what you're talking about, at least this point in time, we know that Sean takes Corey and Topanga's relationship so seriously. In fact, he says, this won't happen to you because you don't deserve that kind of pain. Which, A, I wanted to be like, who does deserve that kind of pain? Let's talk about that. But then, second of all, it goes to show that Sean doesn't think of this as a Corey and Topanga relationship. He thinks of this as a relationship Corey is in and, like, Corey deserves good things and Corey deserves happiness. And he's looking at the relationship like, if Corey can be happy in a relationship, then I have hope for the future. Because, as you said, he can't respect Topanga uh, equally if he's this ready and dismissive of what Corey's going through. Mm, that was beautifully said. It's just so, it's so bizarre. It's almost like, you put another girl in front of Sean and you give Sean the chance to get some action and suddenly nothing else matters. And it is strange how Sean and Amy, uh, maybe a little Alan, I don't really get strong opinions either way from him, um, but everyone in Corey's life feels like they're pushing him towards another relationship, that the reason why he's heartbroken is because he just hasn't met someone else yet. Corey needs therapy, right? Like no one is offering him any good solutions other than just go find someone else. Corey needs to date Corey. 
<laughs> Find out who he is and then go on from there. Yes, thank yeah. you. I feel like, at least, especially in the beginning of Amy's argument, it seems like it has weight when Amy's like, well, maybe this will be good because again, I'm seeing some codependency here. I'm seeing some some development issues and the space could be good, but then they give her the line of, and then maybe you should date other people. And it's like, okay, well, you just undermined everything that you were trying to say. And that's why Corey is focusing on the idea of you just want him to move on. Um, And it does kind of paint that she has some issue with Topanga instead of, and she just wants her son to explore all of his options Um, which is very different from you're 16 and you need to develop more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What the hell kind of TV show is this? (laughs) Can we like dissect the line that you brought up just a little while ago of uh, you don't deserve that kind of pain and what a self-loathing statement that is for Sean and how Corey doesn't even acknowledge the self-loathing in that statement. He's just like, you're right, I don't. Exactly. Now we're painting this picture of only bad people have bad things happen to them, which we all know is not true. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, it says a lot about the hardship in Sean's life. And as you were saying, the self-hate that has to be there based on that statement. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Sean is basically saying like, there's an implied, but I do deserve that kind of pain Uh in that statement that's just never addressed. Sean's whole relationship with Corey in some ways is rooted in self-hate because Corey is basically the Cunninghams. He is Sean's ideal of like everything he thinks normal is, everything he thinks is like the right way a person should grow up and be raised. And he spends his whole life idealizing someone else's life. And their codependency comes up a few times, but even in that instance, you're seeing echoes of it uh, just in their back and forth with each other. Yeah. So I want to talk about our our third person in the roll call, who is Aunt Prudence. Now, for those of you who don't know, Aunt Prudence is played by Olivia Hussey, who played Juliet in the 1968 uh, portrayal of uh, Romeo and Juliet. So the idea of them being like, my Aunt Prudence has never been in love and never married. It's For them to have the actual Juliet play that is like a shout out to the fans of Again, what they set up, which is that the aunt is way more knowledgeable than anyone, than these two children think she is. And again, it puts another female character who knows what she's talking about and is undermined almost immediately by the story. Yes. I have a question that may seem reductive. Is this woman in this show to like set up something for her and Feeney later on that didn't happen? I mean... (laughs) The tension she is kind of nice. We all know that Feeney gets it on with the ladies. <laughs> he is not shy at all to entertaining ladies in his jacuzzi hot tub. I mean, this guy gets it. There are several references that Feeney fucks. I mean, like, that's just when you watch more, you get to see that Feeney can, can bring it. I love that she read Feeney. What I didn't like is that they really didn't pay her read of Feeney any real attention she like just does it and they move on from it Feeney, who's this revered character and who the kids are like he knows everything and the audience is like Feeney has the key the aunt just comes straight in and she's like no that's this bullshit it's not yeah kind of bringing someone from the real world into their fantasy was mm-hmm. was an interesting choice 
Um, and I definitely love what she adds to the show. Um, again, just like Amy, I think it's crappy that the story and the framing treats her as a villain. When again, Amy's right, I think. I don't know if Aunt Prudence is right, but she's definitely raising valid objections. I, I definitely appreciate Aunt Prudence more in 2020 because one of the things that me and Siege have talked about was how this show negatively affects us. And sometimes I feel like I can spot moments in the show where I was negatively affected. And this show was one because it set up a really fairy tale idea of what teenage relationships were supposed to be very unrealistic and it goes on to support it through Feeney and through the events of the show so even though Aunt Prudence brings up some genuine points because she's so quickly shot down because Topanga ends up staying anyway I don't know why she's giving these kids a hard time when she knows she's gonna let them stay like what are we even doing here? it just it feels um so dismissive of her opinion that you can't like take a moment to think about how she is making some valid arguments. Like the moment they start having this conversation, and Amy's giving Amy's giving her viewpoint of what's going on, and she's like, "I don't agree with her parents taking her away from this," and I don't. I was like, "That's not her legal guardian at this point in time. Why are you having this conversation in front of the kids? Like that makes no sense for you to just undermine to bring us parents like this. Um, and again, like they have Amy do a 360. She goes from being the only right person, to be honest, in the argument to being someone who just undermines other adults and gives this critique on Topanga's parents and works out with her aunt how to circumvent their rule. And I was like, no one is Topanga's parents and her parents aren't even in the room, but we're having a conversation about this girl's future. I love how everyone was high-fiving too about how shitty Topanga's parents were. It was just like, (laughs) she's right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's really an interesting, I think the show really kind of in a meta sense is showing like, this is TV, not the real world. So things work out. And Amy and Aunt Prudence are like the real world speaking into it. But it's almost like they're vilified because we don't want that. This is this is a show TV world. we want true love to win. So like we can't have we can't have that. We can't have their negativity. Get that negativity out of here. <laughs> Even though, yeah, they should probably be considering what these women have to say. And it's so hard when you counterbalance it with Feeney, who so beautifully says this quote, like this famous Boy Meets World quote about how like when you find love, you cherish it. You know, the relationship uh, between Corey and Romeo and Juliet harkens back to this pilot episode where Feeney was saying, you know, the most important thing you could ever learn is love. And it felt like even though Corey didn't even bother to read the play, that message that, you know, love will conquer anything that Feeney's installed in him and thus in us as the audience leads us to root for him, even though he is kind of filling Corey with a lot of pie in the sky ideas. This goes back to the idea of the two women who actually have valid arguments and who have like support on their side are dismissed from the two men who are like, you got to follow your heart, son. I feel like Amy is kind of that same way with Corey and Topanga. Like, encouraging when they're 12 like go on this date and then when they start dating like when in seasons later like making her part of the family watching movies with her like doing all there's that one episode where they're a boring married couple and Topanga's always over like making 
Like, so it's like Topanga's part of the family, just 100%. And now all of a sudden, it's like, she's gone. Get over it. Yeah, get over it. Well, I think that what they do is, especially with Amy, Amy is like, she encourages her son to have these milestones, which is having a girlfriend. But she also understands breaking up with that girlfriend is also a milestone. That's true. And that's what I think is really interesting about this episode, both with Prudence and Amy, they bring up the idea of that this is just teenage fancy and, and whim, but the show just kind of steams right over that for the Feeney quote and the Alan believes in love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Anyone have anything else to say? I was just trying to think of like a, like a bra moment that kind of like took me out of it. Um, I think it was kind of Corey talking about love and you sort of mentioned that before where he's just like love is like all these things that Topanga makes me makes me better and I'm a better person because she's around and that's just like again such a selfish view of everything it's like that's not love love isn't that selfish thing it is you giving up all those things for her like that is love putting her first not you putting yourself above her and all the things that she does for you. And so it, again, it just felt like that's super childish. And then everyone's like, Oh, Corey, you're so right. We're all going to change our opinions right now. And I'm going to tell you, I believe in love too, after you're kind of halfway there explanation of what you think love is. Because it idealizes a fictional love that's free of personal sacrifice. You shouldn't have to experience any kind of personal sacrifice for your love in order for it to be something worth achieving. This kid couldn't last two weeks apart. Like, he wasn't willing to put in any work for this relationship, yet he still believes they have something that's stronger than anything. It's 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 crazy. It's so funny that you say that because you're reminding me that right before Topanga shows up, he's like, nah, fuck her. She hasn't called me back and it's been like three days. And I was like, yo, like, hey, not only is she on her way traveling across the state to be with you, but the idea that you had a week of not hearing from her and you're like, bump this, I'm done. It's like, but I thought your love was strong. <laughs> he was about to go raw dog those British chicks. He was ready. <laughs> he was walking out the door and she stopped him. It's it's wild how they let him off the hook. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Um, the embrace he had with that with that one British chick when they were crying together, like that's, that's cheating right there. I don't even care what you say. Some emotional affair going on. <laughs> If Topanga did it to him, how would he yeah. feel? We it's, even it's saw how he reflection. felt because her and John, yeah, at yeah. the beginning, yeah. yeah, they're like having this emotional moment. He's like, "How dare you? I'm going to throw you against the wall. I'm going to kiss you one last time before I kill you, and all this stuff." It's yeah. just like, but all's forgiven with him. Like when he does those things, it's nothing. <laughs> that I'm going to kiss you one last time before I kill you was my bra moment of the episode. I had stated it earlier. I was just so like. And I'll, to be fair, I just finished reading this book called um, A Girl on the Train, which is about an abusive relationship. But like Disney- I read that book, it's good. Yeah, it's a good book. But like the idea that in a, again, a kids or teen show, we would say the line, I'm going to kiss you one time before I kill you because I suspect you of infidelity, not even like, not even actually have proof, but because I suspected um, was a step too far for me. Especially when Sean tells him like, there's more- to the story you need to find it out and he's just like i'm gonna kill her 
one last thing I have to throw in with the episode. I don't really have a bro moment, but rarely do we see Feeney talk about his ex-wife, like Feeney the widower. And I always really appreciate when we get that lens of like that Feeney is this guy who had this great love affair. We see that it referenced when they go to his cabin and they start reading through his diary about how in love he was with this woman. And so it's just, it's interesting how we don't really see that a lot with Feeney, but when we do, it's, it, paints him so interesting like it really feels like he understands Corey and Topanga's dilemma so much he was so much more in love with his wife than Alan and Amy were in love with each other evidently <laughs> yeah there there was a lot of passion in Feeney's past with his wife mm-hmm. for sure yeah Alan and Amy are 50 50 but Feeney and Mrs. Feeney they were 100 100 <laughs> okay um Chase did you have a um a bra moment? Um, I was joking about a bra moment. Um, I'm not even sure this counts, but in our uh, podcast, we're paying like hyper attention to the timeline um, because we're trying, uh, for those of you who have not heard our podcast, what I'm guessing is most of you, we're taking the timeline, like everything the show says as like sacred and true. So like if something contradicts something we've seen, it's not a problem with the show. It's a problem with our understanding of the show. And we have to figure that out. And when he brings up basically the events of Corey's alternative friends that she pushed him up on a locker and kissed him one, he was 11, not 13. Uh, And she didn't teach him how to dance. She was doing an interpretive dance to a poem. And I'm so glad we're not doing timeline for this episode because I don't want to try to figure that out right now. With the timeline issue too, is that we hear this, backstory of how Corey and Topanga met, which isn't always super consistent. You know, Corey says they met in the sandbox and their moms used to, you know, walk them around the block together. And that isn't always the story that we hear about them. So it's just interesting that this is the episode where we hear this bit of information and later on we will watch it contradict. Oh yeah. Uh, as it always does. Okay. Uh, does anyone have any Feeney lessons from the episode? Um, that relationships are complicated and there's a way we want our relationships to work and there's a way that they likely work in reality. But unfortunately the episode kind of airs on the side of this is how we want them to work. And it, it just works out because we're in love. That's definitely my um, lesson that I take away from it as well, which is that it's, as Amy said, it's going to be more complicated or harder than you think it's going to be. But unfortunately the episode in text undermines that lesson that I think that they were trying to teach. Uh, Cameron, do you have one? Yeah, I'm just thinking along those lines. It's just, it talks a lot about love and relationships, but does it kind of halfway, which feels like a consistent theme anytime there's like a heavy topic. It's like, we're going to introduce it, maybe say something kind of good, but then not go there. Like I'm thinking the prejudice episode from season one, where it's like, you're not really talking about prejudice. You're talking about genocide and (laughs) all sorts of oppression, not really just prejudice. That's a soft word. We're not really going to deal with the hard things, just like in this episode. We're not going to deal with the hard parts of relationships, really. But there's still, like, something worth thinking about. Yeah. I don't know. You guys sound like a bunch of cynics. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I think love will conquer all. I think they're soulmates. They met each other when they were two, and they're going to be together for the rest of their lives, and you guys are just jealous. That's what it sounds like to me. You you know, you, you... you saying that really does like, I love this episode. Like, I think I've been negative on it, but I, I love it. Like 
I love that. It's truly one of my favorite episodes of the series. Yeah. It's so, it's such a, even, I know that we, there's a lot of ground that they weren't able to cover, but to spend two episodes on this is not something we have ever gotten from them before. It felt like they tried to pack as much as they could in like 22 minutes or whatever. I'm here for this episode. I don't know. I, are we at the rating portion? Yeah, Siege? I'm going to say we're about to give our grades. And it's so funny that you say that because on IMDb, this is like a 9.1. This is like a very high rated episode. And I absolutely disagree, but I will let everyone else give their grades uh, before I give mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I definitely, like, I can be critical of this episode, but at the end of the day, I kind of want true love to conquer all. <laughs> like, um, yes. can't true love just conquer all for once? Yeah, like... <laughs> um, if we believe it, we'll make it happen, guys! Yeah, and I, we only brought it up once. All right, Alan, calm down. <laughs> uh, we only brought it up once, but the scene of Corey being like, no, I'm done... Like, if she doesn't want to be with me, she's over. He opens the door. Topanga's sitting there in, the wa- in like, <clears throat> drenched in the rain. In perfect makeup. Yeah. With completely perfect. wet hair, but perfect. beautiful look. That, that moment is so iconic. It is so iconic. And I, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, I, how do you guys give ratings? Oh. We, we do uh, uh, just like uh, you would in school. Like, so, you know, you could say A, B, B minus, 89. Like, however you're feeling, you would grade this if it were a test. Like, that's how we do grading. Okay. Okay. So, who starts? I can, I, I can go first, just to give you guys an example of the grading. I give this episode an A+. I think this episode is perfection. I think it's legacy. I know there's issues with it that we've talked about from a 2020 lens, but going back to the 90s, this was played a significant part in my understanding, maybe the wrong understanding, of how relationships should go, and for better or for worse, it was meaningful, and the nostalgia has captured my heart, and I give it an A+. Okay, you guys go. Um, I'll go you next. Go um, I actually, if we were talking about just the first episode, I think I would give the first episode an A+. Um, I think mostly for the Sean and the the sister's date, I would knock that one down to maybe a B+. So I think I'm going to settle on like an A- kind of, kind of territory. Like, you know, a, a, a 90%. I thought the bones were good. The general... Like tone was good. I enjoyed it overall, but I just feel like the arguments were weak, as as in the in the essay that they were writing with this episode. So I'm going to give it a B minus. Cameron is an actual teacher, by the way. Yes, thank you, Cameron. Cameron's on my team. I'm giving this a B minus. To me, because of as you said, because of the arguments are just not backed up. They bring up a lot of really good points that they just let trail off. And as iconic as it is, I told you, I whenever I watch these shows, I'm thinking about what we're trying to say and what we are teaching. Um, the generation who was raised on this. And if I'm being honest, it's teaching a lot of very conflicting things and it only leans on the romance and nostalgia part. Uh, Sorry, the romance and the nostalgia are the only reason why we think fondly of this. And that being said, it just doesn't live up to the hype in my opinion. So that's two B minuses, an A minus and an A plus. So it'll, 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 it'll be safe. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I'm very much on the side. Didn't know you guys gave up on (laughs) looks. 
gave up on love. I don't think wow. you're going to be well, invited back. Oh, <laughs> you will absolutely be invited back. Well, it's funny. So you guys know we do, uh, we rate every episode. And at the end of the season, we look at like the average ratings and we even have like the highest rated and lowest. And I think what you did was you knocked, you helped me <laughs> knock this from our top, which I'm <laughs> grateful for because if I had to give the award to this episode, I would have been really pissed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can definitely see what you're both saying. I, I really do. But at the end of the day, like, it's those moments of, like I said, the Topanga reveal, the the Sean, like, what the, hell, what the hell kind of a TV show is this? Like, those iconic moments. And we didn't talk as much about Eric as I would have wanted to, like, and how funny he is. Like, but he's just like, oh, no, I'm staying. And he's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes, like, gets Corey a steak dinner. He's like, well, if this was a real emergency, there would be cake. <laughs> like, those moments are so iconic for Boyant's World, so iconic for my life that I just can't, like, the, the, the date with the Crow Sisters is my biggest complaint. I'm like, what is happening here? Why? <laughs> Sean, what are you doing? Such a rushy boy. But you guys are coming from season one, so you guys know this series has some real duds. Like, I really do think we need to put this in perspective. Like, there are some episodes that are borderline unwatchable. This, I was, I, even as an adult, emotionally invested. I, I have to give this show its props. Guys, this is classic Boy Meets World. How is this even an argument? <laughs> because it will be. You two are the ones who grade because the kid made you laugh. Cameron and I are people who grade based on the text and the argument that was made. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and uh, since we have, like, I think when I watch Boy Meets World, I kind of glaze over season one normally. So paying as much attention to it as I did this time, it was really weird. And I think instantly upon watching this show, every episode of season one went down, like, we were right on a point system out of 10. Every, every episode of season one went down, like, three points. Like, <laughs> having this to compare it to is so much higher just, than those. So much more developed. Just like, there's even you guys talking, like, sometimes it's like a mess in terms of who are these characters? What do they want? It's still so much more defined than in season one or like episode to episode. It's just like, who are these people? What do they want? Sometimes it's like, this is just a standard sitcom. And sometimes this is the bones of something that's going to be really great. It's like, they don't know what they're doing yet. Yeah. We, we said that all the time about season one. So I'm happy you agree. Okay. Um, you guys homework. Do you guys have any homework that you like, um, our listeners to do? Uh, we are clearly going to lead them to your, uh, podcast and we'll put all the links in there, but do you have anything else you want to plug? We do the podcast Boy Meets World Fever. Um, we'd love for you guys to listen to it. We're hoping to have you guys on real soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on that. Uh, take you guys back to season two like you took us ahead. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Neither of us are very active. Yeah, we're both on there. Um, you can find me at the Cameron Liner on Twitter. I think I'm Chanceykins, C-H-A-N-C-I-E-K-I-N-S. I think I'm at Chanceykins. I don't know. I think that's my... Uh, I mostly just retweet... Boy Meets World Fever stuff and like your guys' posts. So <laughs> we appreciate that and we will uh, absolutely we appreciate sure. all of it. We have the accurate. T, do you have any homework? Oh, my homework quickly. It's not Boy Meets World related, but we are streaming this on Disney Plus. I know we're releasing this way in the future, but Hamilton releases tomorrow. <laughs> I, I want you guys to rewatch it over and over again. Show it to everyone you know. I'm sure you have. If you're listening to this in the future, go back and watch it again. It's that good, I promise. Yeah, and I think I had mentioned this earlier, but there's uh, a new series on 
um, Hulu called Love, Victor, I believe it is. And it is the television version of the story, Love, Simon. And that is a TV show that kind of handles the nuances of teen dating in a way that I feel um, is would be a modern storytelling. So some of it's happy, some of it's sad, but all of it's uh, what we need to be learning from. And this episode just made me remember that. So check out Love, Simon. Nice. I will check out Love, Simon. <laughs> I think it's called Love, Victor, but Love, do both. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Brum Meets World. Remember, you can find us on all the places we really appreciate when you leave us ratings. We've been getting great feedback from you in our emails, which is brummeetsworld at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am not your Oreo. Um, TC? You can find me on Instagram at a braver me at dot braver dot me. And if you guys have any thoughts on this episode, are you team Prudence? Are you team Feeny? We want to know how you felt. Did Sean kiss Topanga? Was it cool? Was it not cool? Please fill out our comments, write us, let us know your thoughts. We'd love to get your feedback. Absolutely. What does love mean to you as a 16 year old? Uh, a question that I feel like we all should have answered, but uh, I look forward to hearing everyone's responses. Uh, remember to dream to try and do good. Later, Later bros. bros.